where we play Dungeons and Dragons with each other. A podcast, this is. Hello and welcome to Make Believe Heroes, an actual play, 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons adventure. My name is Paul. I'm your dungeon master, your pal, your narrator. And today, we're jumping right back into the adventure and story of Season 3.5 with Episode 4, Convergence. I know that this short season has been a bit different from our usual fare, but I hope that you've been enjoying it nonetheless. We're going to hop right back into things post-haste. But first, here is a quick recap of what happened last time on Make Believe Heroes. Last time, we saw as Lord Sebastian Blackfire, along with a few friends, came to the secret home of one Ileana Golas, the leader of the Lane Golas, or the Free Leaves, a secret organization of criminals hidden deep within Fallen Grove. Blackfire enlisted their aid in an upcoming attempt to overthrow Fallen Grove, with or without Ileana's consent. Meanwhile, back at the canopy, Phil, Bill, and Jill have settled in nicely to their new work in the canopy. Nephiel met with Bill and with Paldo to discuss their efforts in searching for the Unchained throughout the canopy. Bill assured him that while Phil was working hard with the Leaf Guard, Jill was helping in her own way, with clerical paperwork nothing too dangerous. Little did he know, Phil, along with Minnie's help, had placed Jill firmly in harm's way. While Jill sought to infiltrate the criminal underbelly of the canopy, Minnie and Phil would set forth looking for those who might be connected to the Lane Golas, who Minnie suspects will definitely be involved with any dangerous or illegal activities going on in the canopy. Finally, we saw as our old friend Jimalil Karth, along with his new traveling companion, Kolmas, traveled to a sacred meadow deep within Fallen Grove. There they met with Atonia, and she revealed to them that the gods had decided to step out into the light once more, taking an active stance in the war against the Unchained. As Atonia sent Kolmas to deliver a message to Rivora the Fury, the Red Dragon, who'd been seeking her attention, she sent Jim back to the Corrine with a message for Nephael. But as Jim departed, Otonia spent some time in solitude and reflection, obviously distressed. But what she didn't know is that someone else was waiting just outside of her vision. One Sebastian Blackfire, finally revealing himself to her, the goddess of autumn, of the forest of Fallen Grove. Blackfire revealed that he is, in fact, a son of the Crooked Father, the god of the Nine Hells. And he has been biding his time, but now the hour has come for their destruction. Easily overcoming Atonia in her new weakened state, he swiftly defeated the goddess and drank from her divine blood. Atonia's fate is unsure. But one thing is certain. Darkness is coming for the canopy. We can only hope that our heroes are ready to rise to that challenge.
All around the Corrine, people are dancing. The great tree that upholds the sanctuary of the canopy's most holy place sways ever so slightly with the power of the children of Otonia. It is early still, but the morning has been very productive for the druids of the Corrine o Otonia. From all across Fallen Grove, peoples from all walks of life have come to aid in the preparation for the equinox. After the destruction of Fallen Grove, they gathered from all around to help rebuild it. And now, for the first time since completing its reconstruction, they are ready to observe their most sacred rite. As they dance, and the floor sways with them in unison, the translucent leaf-made roof shifts gently, creating a kaleidoscope of sunlight in red, orange, and yellow. Elves, gnomes, dwarves, druids of all shapes and sizes combine their power as they dance, and as they sing, from the great stump platform in the center, there have sprouted dozens of new, narrow-trunked trees. They are exotic, with strange barks of red, green, yellow, and orange. As the druids dance and sing, the sprouts grow into tall trees, spreading outward and knitting their branches together. Time passes, and their dance gets faster, more powerful. And as it reaches a crescendo, from all of the branches burst forth gorgeous leaves, of the varying deep colors of autumn, and the wooden floor around them sprouts lilies, pansies, and dahlias. And as swiftly as their rite began, it comes to a stop. Nephiel, archdruid of Fallen Grove, steps out onto a tall platform of wood ear fungus, naked save for a thick cloth woven around his waist. Silently, he observes their work. Then, laughing aloud, he raises his hands to the beautiful display around him. The people begin to cheer and clap, tears running down their faces at the utter beauty that they have created in honor of their goddess. As their acclamation dies down, Nephiel addresses them all. Thank you, druids of the Corin o Otonia. The hour of the autumnal equinox is nearly upon us. With your help, I believe that we have created the most beautiful offering that the children of Otonia have ever prepared for our goddess. May her joy fill each of your hearts. He bows, placing his hands together in a signet of prayer. They each bow to him in return and then go back to their work in preparing for the celebration. As Nephiel steps down his mushroom staircase, a short figure approaches him from amongst the trees. Hello, Paldo. What can I do for you? Oh, uh, I'm sorry to disturb you so soon after the ceremony, sir, but Jimaliel has returned. He says he has a message for you. Nephiel's eyes light up at Paldo's words. He lithely hops down, grabbing his robe from a nearby branch as he walks quickly down the hall toward his office. The door is open as Nephiel steps in, closing it behind him. Jimaliel turns to face him, twirling in his purple robe of eyes. Jim, you've returned. Yes, I have come back. And I see that Colmas isn't with you. Uh, how did that go? Oh, yeah, Tony Ephratum. It's pretty, pretty rough. Oh, my. I'm just kidding. Oh, Jim. 
he has sworn fealty and she is using his talents to aid our calls. I see. I'm glad to hear it. He seemed sincere. I could feel a, a brokenness about him, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, I saw him break into ashes at one point. Well, yes. Anyhow, uh, tell me, what did you learn? Did Atonia have any intelligence, any word about this situation we're dealing with, with Phil, Bill, and Jill? They've been here. We have been working day and night trying to find some sign of these unchained, as they have called them. Did Atonia have any words, any wisdom for us? Yes, she said that the gods are moving in Manumi once more in a way they haven't in ages. So we can expect their aid, though we may not always recognize it. He looks taken aback. How do you mean? I mean, the gods always give us their aid through magic, through the power of nature and the forest. Or do you mean something more specific more specific well they shall walk among us what or something i don't know he walks over to his desk not on the back side where he usually sits but just at a chair there in front of his desk and he sits down Latonia says that she is going to walk among us again yes though again we may not necessarily recognize them or their involvement this is it's unheard of. Indeed. So she must believe that this threat of the Unchained is quite real. Oh yeah, more than I think even I realize. Well, that is both exciting and terrifying. That's my assessment as well. Did she give any instruction for us, for me here? She said to stay vigilant, to keep doing what you're already doing, prepare for anything that may occur at the Automal Equinox, to be on guard, to be alert for movement from the Unchained. I see. We shall do just that. We are obviously gearing up for the Equinox. I, do you think that she will be here for the Equinox? I am not certain, but I think we can expect that if she is or if she isn't, she will have some provision. Oh, we must... We must redouble our efforts. This has to be the most magnificent equinox that we have ever held in the canopy. We are preparing as usual, and we have we have done more, but more must still be done. And yet we must also look for the Unchained. I thank you, Jim. Thank you for coming here, for telling me this. Absolutely. There are times, especially now, with, with Elevonre gone, there are times when I feel... Alone, I feel the burden of all the people of Fallen Grove, all of my elven kind, my brothers down by the sea, and my sisters, and for the gnomes, for the halflings, for all the people of Fallen Grove, all of the children of Atonia. But this, this is encouraging. Thank you, Jim. What will you do? Will you stay? For a time. But then I must go. She has instructed me to meet her for a journey. I see. And Colmas, you said, where where did she send him? To seek the Dracon Kelly. He looks stunned. Is this real? These are strange times, Jim. 
I dare say they are unprecedented. We are seeing things that have not occurred since the beginning. Indeed, many precedents broken. History, Jim. We are living it. And I am blessed to catalog it. Of course. The Dracon Kelly and the gods moving again. I dare say whatever it is that the Unchained have planned for us, they will not be ready for this. We will be ready for them. Let us hope so. At that moment, you hear a soft knock at the door, and the door to Nephiel's office creaks open, and a familiar halfling sticks his head in. Yes, Poldo. Ah, Nephiel, um, sorry to bother you again, sir, but we have another visitor, actually, and she was quite insistent, and um, I'm, I'm sorry, Ho- hope that we're not interrupting. Oh, it's, it's quite all right. Who is it, if you wouldn't mind telling me, Poldo? Uh, Jim and I were just, just talking. Uh, here, and stepping in through the door, comes a beautiful woman. She has almost like a rose-golden skin. Her eyes are solid and the color of sunlight. Her hair is long down past her shoulders, and she has two horns going up and back her head. A tiefling. Please, pardon my interruption. I hope I did not disturb you. Nephiel stands to his feet, brushing his robe. Uh, no, madam, uh, you, um, you are quite welcome. May I ask, with whom do we have the pleasure of speaking? She bows in respect. My name is Talia Blackfire. I am the wife of the governor of Brightport, Lord Sebastian Blackfire. I'm certain that you've heard of him even this far west. Nephiel gives a nod in assent. Yes, yes, I have heard of the Lord Blackfire. What brings you to the canopy at this time? Well, you see, my husband and I, we heard of the great suffering that you endured here in the canopy, of the destruction that came upon you all some time past. And while your home has recuperated magically, I must say this place is beautiful. I had never been here myself, and it is quite glorious. Nephiel nods again. Thank you. Thank you, madam. But you are right. We did suffer a great pain, and it is still a process. And that is why we've come, she says. My husband would like to give honor to the goddess Atonia. I understand that you all are preparing for the observance of the autumnal equinox. We have come to give our offering to the canopy, to Fallen Grove, and to the goddess Atonia. Nephiel looks at Jim and then looks back at her. We would be honored to have you help us celebrate the life and goodness of Fallen Grove and of our goddess, Atonia. And, of course, she says, he also has a gift for the canopy. He wants to help. He wants to help rebuild your city, do you call it? No, Nephiel says. No, nothing such as urban as that. It is, it is our home, the canopy. Right. Well, he wants to rebuild your home. We have brought riches that will aid, along with those that will help. Manpower, if you will. We want to help you all in what way we can. He says, and I agree, that it is past time for the people of Manumi to come together, especially in strange days like these. Nephiel looks at Jim. He's just watching quizzically. Oh, I'm I'm sorry, what is your name? He bows and says, Jimalil Karth, at your service. Jimalil. I am Talia Blackfire. It is nice to make your acquaintance. Likewise. 
Yes, Jim and I were just discussing some important business, but... Jim, I believe you said you had some matters to attend to? That's true. I do. If you'll excuse me. He bows towards Nefael. He bows towards Talia. And then begins to leave. Thank you, Jim. Of course. Jim says as he steps out of the office, closing the door behind him. Why don't you have a seat, Lady Talia? Nephael says, motioning to a comfy chair before his desk. Of course. She says, taking her seat. So, my lady, first, allow me to say how grateful we are for your aid. I am inclined to agree with your earlier sentiment. Manumi has been at peace for so long, I'm afraid many of us have grown somewhat complacent. I would love to strengthen our relations with Brightport. I couldn't agree more. And that's the desire of Sebastian as well. That being said, I feel compelled to inform you that there have been whispers. Tales of trouble brewing around the upcoming equinox. I don't know if you have heard, but apparently there was some sort of calculated attack at the city of Branshire around the summer solstice. Oh, yes. She says exasperatedly. I heard about that all right. In fact, the High Cleric of Branshire visited our city not long ago to discuss these matters with those of the temple in Brightport. There is darkness brewing in our land, which is all the more reason why Sebastian has decided to come and visit you at this important time. Nephiel pours a glass of water from a pitcher on his desk. Lady Blackfire. Please. She says, placing a hand on his. Call me Talia. Nephiel takes a deep drink from his water. Talia, as I was saying before, there have been whispers. Honestly, there have been more than whispers. The canopy is on high alert. I'm honestly surprised that Paldo brought you to me in the first place. The Leaf Guard has been restricting any unknown visitors from entering the canopy as of late. Oh? She says, sounding surprised. I had no idea. I hope I haven't caused him any trouble. He seems such a sweet young man. Oh no, none at all. I'll admit I'm quite thankful that he brought you through to me. You see, we have our Leaf Guard, along with some other visiting allies, searching the canopy night and day. If there is some plot to bring harm to our people... We must discover it. Talia looks at him, a look of deep concern on her face. I can only imagine the intense burden that you bear for your people. If there's any way that we could help... Oh no, he says. Thank you, Talia. But I believe we have things quite in hand. I couldn't ask for more help than you are already bringing to our people. Your presence is a welcome one. And I expect that all of our people will welcome you with open arms. Now, tell me, when do you think we can expect your husband to arrive? I'm afraid the journey is taking him a bit longer, but he will be here in time for the celebration of the Equinox. I know he's anxious to arrive, and to meet you, Nephiel. Of course, of course. I look forward to meeting him soon. In the meantime, Paldo will procure a place for you to stay. Oh, I, I wouldn't want to be a bother. Nonsense, Talia. There is an inn in the Solch district that will take care of you, as well as anyone traveling with you. Why, you are very generous, Archdruid. She says with a slight bow. Thank you for your hospitality. It is nothing, my lady. He stands, extending a hand toward her, leading her to the door. Perhaps we will have some more time to speak during your stay. I would love to hear more about Brightport and your husband's vision for uniting the people of Manumi. 
She smiles her brilliant smile at him, and he feels himself being drawn into her bright golden eyes. Most certainly. I expect that, before long, Sebastian's name will be on the lips of every soul in Manumi. On the other side of the canopy, Jill is lounging by a bakery called The Flower Petal. She's standing just around the corner, shrouded in the shadow of the large leaves making the roof of the bakery. A gnomish woman is taking orders from an elf who requests a package of sweet rolls with honey and butter. As the baker finishes the order, Jill slips in through the back door, quickly swiping a couple of honeyed rolls for herself, the baker none the wiser. She quickly walks down the street, the rolls hidden under her cloak. Once she's out of sight of the bakery, she lifts one of the rolls to her lips, savoring the sweetness of the honey and the warmth of the bread. Taken in by the deliciousness of her stolen treat, she stumbles directly into a figure who is standing still before a large inn to her right. Both of them fall to the ground, Jill barely managing to hold on to her sweet roll. Embarrassed at her mistake, she deftly rolls over and back onto her feet. I'm sorry. I wasn't paying enough attention. Please let me help you up. She turns quickly to the halfling she knocked on the ground, trying to help him back to his feet. She reaches down to take his arm, but he suddenly recoils at her touch, looking up at her with a mixture of fear and anger. As he awkwardly pushes himself back up to his feet, she can't help but notice the thick bandages wrapped around his hands, both of which are missing the thumbs. I'm sorry, sir. I didn't mean to knock you over like that. Are you hurt? Your hands, they look... Are you all right? Miles looks sharply at her, not saying a word. His eyes dart to the entrance of the inn, as if expecting someone to step out at any moment. My name is Jill. I'm not from around here, so I guess I haven't really got a great feel for the layout here in town yet. Look, I really feel bad about this. Here. She says, reaching into her cloak and pulling out another sweet roll. I was going to have this one later, but it looks like you could use a pick-me-up. It's the least I could do after rudely knocking you over like that. Miles looks at the roll suspiciously for a moment. Then, reaching forth with both bandaged hands, he takes it from her. He holds it to his mouth awkwardly, taking a small bite. As the sweetness of the honey fills his mouth, he's overwhelmed with the joyous sensation it brings. For the first time in weeks, he feels a moan of warmth, of sweetness. Of kindness. There, that's better. Like I said, I'm Jill. What's your name? Miles chews his roll for a moment, and then swallowing, he says, Ah, uh, I'm... Now, now, Miles, don't bother the young lady. The Shiv steps out of the inn, walking quickly toward the two of them. My apologies, miss. I hope that Miles here didn't disturb you. Oh no, not at all, says Jill. It was my fault. I accidentally knocked him over. We were just getting to know each other. Oh, I see. Is that so, Miles? Were the two of you getting to know one another? Miles looks up at the Shiv with a fearful eye. At that moment, a sturdy dwarf approaches, a large double-headed axe strapped to his back. While he is still dressed in his normal clothes, Phil does now have a noticeable brooch on the clasp of a new green cloak in the image of the Triquetra of Atonia, marking him as an honorary member of the Leaf Guard. 
Ah, good morning. Just passing by. I hope everything is all right over here. No trouble. Phil says, passing a knowing look toward Jill. The shiv gives him a smile, which comes out like a twisted grimace. Good morning, patrolman. Nothing to be concerned about here, just a couple of friendly neighbors having a morning chat. Right. Well, uh, like you said, I'm just out doing patrol. I guess you're new in town? What's, what's your name? With the equinox coming up in just a few days now, as expected, we've got a lot of visitors coming into the canopy. So we're doing our best to make sure everyone finds lodging, provisions, without trouble. The last thing we want is any... trouble. As Phil takes the shift's focus, Jill slowly shifts closer to Miles. What was that all about? Has that guy hurt you? Did he do that to your hands? Miles looks apprehensive, glancing up at the shiv as he and Phil are locked in conversation. His eyes flip back and forth between Jill and his captor. Ah, I should not be talking to you. Jill looks quickly at the shiv again, continuing nervously. Listen, if you need help, I can help you. I know people here who can help you. Just say the word. Well, patrolman, I appreciate your concern and your hospitality. But I'm afraid I must be going. My nephew here must see to his treatments. And we'll be staying right here in the Bending Bow Inn if you feel the need to check in on us. Shiv gives another twisted grin as he takes Miles by the arm, leading him toward the stairs. With an almost imperceptible glance, Miles looks intently at Jill before turning with the Shiv and walking into the inn. And, uh... You, young lady, you, uh, uh, finding everything to your suiting in the canopy? Jill stares at him incredulously for a moment before remembering. Oh, um, yes, sir. Uh, patrol, sir. I've settled in just fine. Um, I'm looking forward to the equinox. Good, good. Uh, well, you be careful out here. You never know when some 'er ne'er-do-wells might show up, uh, and the wrong sort of people can lead you into some real trouble. I'll be careful, sir, Jill says. With a nod and a light wink, Phil turns and heads on down the street, while Jill turns again, heading back toward the bakery for one more snack. (laughs) Southeast of Fallen Grove, Along the border of the forest, there is a solitary horse and rider. The sun is set on a dark and overcast day, and now it has become quite difficult to see. The horse is startled at the sound of thunder overhead, rolling in from the far west. The rider soothes her steed. It's all right, girl. It's just a little thunder. It's too dark. Let's stop for the night. What do you say, Misty? I can barely see the road anyway. She leads Misty off the road to set up her camp for the night. She finds a spot at the edge of the forest under decent cover from the nearby trees. Gathering some dead wood from around the edge, she builds a fire. Even this far south, the nighttime temperatures can be uncomfortably cold in the drylands. Within a half hour, she's built a small warm fire and laid out her bedroll. Misty is tied to a nearby tree, where there's plenty of grass for her to graze. The woman tiredly runs her fingers through her long, light brown hair. 
The light of the fire reflects on her white and gold breastplate bearing the sun of Palor. Rubbing her hands together by the fire, she bows her head and closes her eyes. Palor, god of the sun, creator of all humankind, of warmth, of life, may you please guide my path. Guide me to your servant, Saul, if he yet lives. And if not, then guide me to those who seek to destroy all that is good in Manumi, those agents of evil within Fallen Grove, before it is too late. Bringing her hands together in the symbol of respect, her prayer ends. Hello, Pauline. Startled, she stumbles back off the log she was using as a seat, falling onto the ground. She fumbles for her sword, quickly recovering to her feet, then holding the weapon out before her. A thin man is sitting on the ground near her fire. He is dressed in dark clothes, his hair black with some gray peppered throughout. He sits, looking into the fire intently, his hand resting comfortably on the hilt of a rapier. You won't be needing that sword, Pauline. I mean you no harm. Pauline does not put her sword away. Who are you? And how did you sneak up on me so quietly? He stretches, reaching toward the sky, then slowly stands to his feet. He is very tall and of slender build. He gives a proper bow, one hand behind his back. Forgive me if I startled you, Pauline. I did not intend to do so. She grips her sword tightly in both hands. The tip of her blade pointed toward him threateningly. I'll not ask again. Who are you? What do you want with me? The man sighs, grinning slightly. You can call me Zon. I'm a friend of Glaron, and of Saul, and Kjorg, Brackel. I've come to help guide you on your mission to find the Unchained. And, to some extent, Saul. She looks taken aback, her grip on the sword loosening just a bit. I... All right, so you say... Am I supposed to just take your word for it? Oh no, of course not. But perhaps you will take Palor's word, he says, drawing his rapier and holding it aloft. As he does, a golden light shines painfully bright from the hilt, where an engraved son of Palor gleams a bright sunlight all around them. Pauline lowers her sword as she is enveloped by the warmth of Palor's light. Tears of relief well up in her eyes as she bows her head. I I'm sorry. Thank you. I believe you just might be an answer to my prayer. Indeed, though perhaps more directly than you might have expected. I'm afraid I cannot stay long. I have much to do, as do you. I know that you intended to settle in for the night, but I believe that you will find that you do not require rest this night. Nor will you require lamplight for you've received the blessing of the sight of Palor for a time. Pauline looks at him, surprised. I don't know what to say. I, I do feel refreshed. Yes, as will Misty. A storm is coming, Pauline, and a terrible one at that. You asked for guidance. Well, I have that for you. You must enter the forest at once. Travel along the road south of here. You can get there in less than an hour. There's a meeting going on tonight, and you need to be there. A meeting? What sort of, of meeting? I don't understand. 
You will, don't worry. Oh, and as far as the way, Misty will take you where you need to go. She is a very intelligent horse, he says, petting her kindly. This is all very sudden. I, I, I don't know what to say. I, I have a mission to complete. Are you sure that this is what I need to be doing? Oh, yes, he says with a small smirk. I'm sure. If we're to have any hope of defeating our hidden enemy, then you must go and right away. I've taken the liberty of gathering your things. She looks down where her bedroll was. It is packed, rolled, and ready to go. You... wait, what? How? Oh, don't worry about that, says Zahn, suddenly appearing beside her with Misty led by the reins. Misty will take you straight to them. They don't know that you're coming, but they'll listen to you. They want to help. Wait, wait, who, who are they? And what will I tell them? My dear, the equinox is tomorrow. You're not going to make it to the canopy, you know that. The only chance you have of helping is to go now to this place and just follow my instructions. He helps her up onto Misty's back, handing her the reins. All right, um, I I'll go. But please tell me, who, who are these people that I'm meeting? Who are they? What am I doing? What should I tell them? Who are they? Well, they are dragons. And as for what to tell them, just tell them the truth. Tell them that the gods are moving once more on Manumi. Tell them to meet me at the temple in Branshire. Oh, and tell them that Pelor says hello. Zahn gives her a wink with glowing bright yellow eyes, and then he is gone. It is raining west of the canopy. Deep in the thick of the forest, many figures move in the cover of darkness. Camouflaged tents are erected all around the forest floor, and many short, cloaked figures move around the perimeter, casting wards to prevent onlookers from seeing them or entering unawares. In the center of this impromptu hidden camp, there is a larger tent, as black as the darkness around them. The rain beats on the thick canvas. A small orange light trickles out the seam of the tent, illuminating the thick vines on the forest floor. A tall, cloaked figure approaches in the night. Pulling the tent flap back with his hand, he swiftly steps inside. The floor inside the tent is laden with heavy rugs, all laid about to cover the damp forest floor. In the center of the tent, there is a large cage, not unlike a bird cage. It is around five feet tall and equally as wide. Within the cage, a bright orange light is shining. The dark figure holds up his hand, shading his eyes from the radiant light, but after a moment, it fades again. Lying on the floor of this cage is a small, visibly weakened woman. She is lying on her side, her hair matted and wet. The orange light of her eyes shines amidst the black rings that surround them. Her breathing is ragged and sharp, as if each intake causes her pain. I have brought you something, goddess, Blackfire says, stepping toward her cage. He reaches inside the bars, dropping a large water skin beside her. It is fresh from a nearby spring. Drink, Otonia. 
You must preserve your strength. You must recover. She barely stirs, her eyes turning up toward her captor with pure hatred. Now, now, do not be that way, little goddess. We have work to do in just a few days' time, and we want to look our best for the audience. Blackfire grabs the bars around the door of the cage, and a series of black runes glow. He opens the door, kneeling down beside the goddess. He takes the water skin in his hand, uncorking it. Reaching toward her, Atonia pulls back from him weakly, whimpering. He takes her face in his hand, lifting her neck. She whimpers in pain as he pulls her up, pouring a bit of the water into her mouth. The wound on her neck from his bite oozes a white and green pus, festering. As she drinks from the water, her eyes grow suddenly wide, and she grabs the water skin, turning it up, drinking deeply. There, isn't that better? As she drinks, he brushes her hair back from the wound. This won't do at all, now will it? Taking his large hand, he holds it above the wound. As tendrils of black power weave out from his fingers, wrapping around her throat. She drops the water skin, spilling it onto the cage floor as his black power engulfs her around the neck. Grasping, she digs her fingers into the dark tendrils, futilely struggling in the pain to pull them away from her neck. A moment later, he drops her back onto the floor of the cage, his power receding into his hand. Her hands go instinctively to her throat, feeling her wound. Surprised, she feels as the open gashes from his many teeth have mostly closed no longer festering. She looks up at him, surprised, but suspicious, as he locks the door to her cage once more. There now, little sister. That's better, isn't it? There's no call for your needless suffering. She scoops up the water skin, drinking all that's left. Now, having her fill, she wipes her mouth and sits back against the metal bars, tiredly looking up at him. Why? <coughs> Why? Heal me, Blackfire. He turns from her, kneeling onto the thick rug and pouring himself a cup of hot tea from a short table nearby. I have already told you, there is no call for your needless suffering. She scoffs, <laughs> then winces in pain. <clears throat> Don't lie to me. You care nothing for my suffering. You are correct, goddess. I do not really care one way or the other about your suffering. But it is needless. Unnecessary. She scoffs again, <laughs> chuckling darkly. <laughs> All of this is unnecessary. Why bring me along with you in the first place? I won't be helping you. Blackfire sips his tea, staring at her silently. What's wrong, brother? Afraid to confess? Not at all, Otonia. There is simply no reason for me to do so. She adjusts her body, grunting in pain. Do it to humor me. It's the least you could do. After draining me of my blood. He stares at her intently, his eyes as black as pure darkness. It is better for you not to know, Otonia. Oh, I'm afraid I must disagree. I'd very much like to know. 
Blackfire sips from his tea again, contemplating. Then, he stands up, crossing over to the back of the tent. Beside his bed of furs, there is a long wooden box. The outside of the box is as black as coal, charred by some fell flames. The lock on the box is silver, sealed with a sigil. Blackfire mumbles a word of power, and the sigil glows, opening the lock. From inside, he brings forth a long, slender object wrapped in an oiled cloth. Stepping again toward her cage, he pulls the cloth aside to reveal a long spear beneath it. It is as long as he is tall. The handle of the spear is plain and white, seemingly carved from the bone of some great beast. There are no markings, no leather handle, nothing of the sort. But at the top of the spear, fused onto the end, is a wicked blade, jagged and cold, its tip immeasurably sharp. Atonia's eyes are drawn to the cold blade, staring at it with fascination. The metal is a dark silver, emanating a cold frost. But, as Blackfire grows closer to the cage, it seems to change. Her eyes glow again, and the blade shifts from its icy silver to a deep orange metal, woven through with red and yellow. She recoils at the change, pulling back, and the metal shifts again, this time to a deep ocean blue. You recognize it, don't you, goddess? He asks, almost whispering. This is a weapon of my own crafting. I descended beneath the seas, through the dark and frozen depths. I have seen the prison of my father. I have felt the death, the malice, the power that radiates from that place. He turns the spear over in his hand, admiring the craftsmanship. It took every ounce of my considerable power, but I finally did it. I chipped a small piece from the chains that bind him, our crooked father, as you call him. Your chains have fused together into a solid prison for him now. Although, I'm sure you already knew that, he says, stepping nearer to the cage and kneeling down to get closer to her. What? What are you going to do with that? I will show you. Raising a hand, Otonia is dragged toward him within the cage. Quick as a viper, he grabs her arm pulling her against the bars. Taking the spear in his hand, he brings it slowly forward and cuts a small, decisive slice on her cheek. She screams, falling back as he releases her, cupping her cheek as light pours from it, like blood from a wound. She holds her hand over it, pressing down, looking up at him in pure terror. Emotionless, he returns her gaze. On the day of the autumnal equinox, we shall stand in the heart of the Corrine together. There, I shall pierce your heart with this blade. And you will die, little sister. And with your death, 
I will break the first links in the chains that hold him. Then it will only be a matter of time before he breaks free. You can't. Please, Blackfire. Please don't do this. He closes his eyes, shaking his head. No, now, goddess. Do not beg. It is beneath you. There is nothing else to be done, Altonia. It is time for a cleansing of this world. I have had my enjoyment with these insects. But that time is over. Soon, Manumi will meet its true creator, our father. No, you cannot let him free. He will destroy us all. Even you. Perhaps he will. Perhaps he will not. This is the purpose for which I was created, little goddess, he says, kneeling forward, his face pressed against the bars of her prison. Soon, every living creature in this world will know the true meaning of power and of fear. They will fall on their faces and cower before the might of Krumtart. Atonia's eyes bulge and her hand falls from the wound on her cheek. The orange light bursts outward for a moment, but at the invoking of that name, thick darkness envelops the tent. All light leaves the room. The fires turn black. The air, heavy and wet with the scent of salt and rot. A deep laughter permeates the darkness as Blackfire leans his head back, mania threatening to overtake him. Tonia closes her eyes, bowing down and covering her head with her hands. Her heart breaks in her chest. It's him, her father. He is coming, and there is nothing that she can do to stop it.